Hello, I'm Rob, and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 25th of January, 2023. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 880 We hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading this week, we have myself Rob, Christine, Angela, Liz, Helen, Mina, Simon, and of course not forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition we have Local News for the Black Country, an update from Beacon, the quiz with Mina, the latest football news from the region, a did you know section of random facts from of course Flashback Roger. We also have the weather for the week ahead our fortnightly bulletin of practical information and sight loss tips, and an article about one of Britain's most famous novelists who combined her brilliantly funny writing style with often biting satire. Can you guess who it is, maybe? Well, you'll soon find out. Local news to start, though, with Liz, Christine, Ian, but first, we have Angela. Hospitals in Birmingham and the Black Country were only able to discharge a third of patients medically fit to go home in the first week of this year creating a huge shortage of beds and contributing massively to the NHS crisis. Patients have been forced to wait hours in ambulances stuck outside hospitals while there have also been long waits in A&E. Key to this is the shortage of available hospital beds, creating a blockage in the system. It means patients cannot get care quickly enough and has led to the longest ambulance delays on record as paramedics can't get back onto the roads to respond to 999 calls because they have to stay with patients at hospitals. On Thursday, January the 5th, some 405 patients at Black Country hospitals were judged to be well enough to be discharged, but most remained in hospital. This issue is commonly known as bed blocking and occurs mostly because patients cannot be moved into social care or a family member is unable or unwilling to care for them. It meant only 34% of patients in Birmingham and the Black Country who could have left hospital that day were actually discharged. Hospitals in Dudley and Sandwell performed better, discharging more than half of medically fit patients, whereas those in Walsall and Wolverhampton struggled. It comes as the pressure continues to build on the government to fix the NHS crisis amid promises of more cash to free up beds. It comes as Wolverhampton's New Cross Hospital opened a new ambulance receiving centre to provide an additional 17 ambulance offload spaces and more staff to help with handovers. Here's Liz with more. An ambulance receiving centre has opened at Wolverhampton's New Cross Hospital in a bid to get paramedics back on the road sooner. 
The centre provides an additional 17 ambulance offload spaces as well as extra staff to support with handovers as part of one Wolverhampton Partnerships plans to ease pressures on the emergency department over winter. An average of 450 patients per day, 3,150 per week, are currently arriving at the emergency department. Approximately 100 per day, or 650 to 700 a week, of those arrive by ambulance, and all these will be received into the ambulance receiving centre, except those that need to be resuscitated. Gwen Nuttall, Chief Operating Officer at the Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust, said, Although it is early days for the ARC, it is enabling us to release ambulance crews back onto the road quicker than before. The ARC is also a much better facility for patients waiting to be seen rather than the back of an ambulance, and it also allows us to start the triage process sooner. Anyone looking to travel to New Cross Hospital over the next few months may also want to plan their route accordingly, as Christine can tell us about the roadworks that are due to start at the end of this month. Motorists face six months of traffic misery when one of the Black Country's main routes will be closed both ways. The A460 Cannock Road will be shut to motorists between the junctions of Victoria Road and Bushbury Road. Wolverhampton City Council used the Road Traffic Act to force the closure of the road to enable Seven Trent Water to carry out essential work starting on Monday, January 30th. A Seven Trent spokesperson said, We're investing £2.3 million in Wolverhampton, making essential upgrades to the water network that will see big benefits for our customers. This project will see those living in the area have a more reliable water supply as we are replacing ageing water pipes with new ones, as older pipes are more likely to burst and cause problems. To do this safely and to keep our engineers and others safe, we are using traffic management in the area starting on Cannock Road, where we will be working in sections. We're really sorry in advance for the disruption this will cause, but this work is essential in improving the water supply for everyone living in the area. A spokesman for Wolverhampton City Council said, It is anticipated that the road closure order will be in place until June 14th approximately. Lambert Road will also be closed in both directions at its junction with Cannock Road. A diversion will be put in place for the Cannock Road closure, which will see vehicles using Victoria Road and Bushbury Roads and vice versa. The Lambert Road diversion will be Mandale, Rayner, Bushbury and Victoria Roads. Pharmacists say they are trading blind as cost of important drugs fluctuate upwards to levels way beyond official tariffs. Jazz Matharu checks on his computer for the availability of amoxicillin, a form of penicillin to treat coughs and throat infections. It is one of the most routinely prescribed drugs that the NHS uses. According to the NHS tariff, a packet of 28 tablets should cost £1.92. But curiously, it seems to be in short supply today, with only two companies prepared to supply him. The cheapest one is charging £2.56 a packet, the other £2.99. I'm never going to see my patients go without their medication, so I have little choice but to take a loss, says Mr. Matharu, a pharmacist of 35 years. It's a similar story for an antidepressant which the NHS prices at 149 for 28 100 milligram tablets. Again, all the major suppliers are out of stock, bar one, which is seeking an asking price of £20.95, 
13 times the NHS tariff. Somebody has made an £18 profit there, said Mr Matharu, who runs a home delivery prescription service from a warehouse on the outskirts of Wolverhampton. Eventually the NHS tariffs will be increased and backdated and he is usually reimbursed for his losses. But the uncertainty makes it difficult for him to plan ahead and he has to put the money up front for the cash flow. More pertinently, it is the taxpayer and the hard-pressed NHS that ends up footing the bill. I can understand that some drugs, such as antibiotics used to treat strep A, can be in short supply when there is a run on them, he says. But this is happening for everything, for antidepressants, which there is no reason for there to be a particular shortage. It means I am trading blind. I don't know how much I am going to get paid. But it also means that the government is paying out a lot of money. Up next, we hear from Helen, who of course has for us the Beacon update. Hi everyone, it's Helen from Beacon. I hope you're keeping well and have been able to manage in the snow and icy weather we've had recently. I don't know about you, I love feeling the crunch of snow under your feet, but having said that, in reality it's freezing and often quite slippy, isn't it? So just do remember that if you need extra support to stay safe during a cold spell, please do ask for help, whether it's your family, friends, neighbours, local council or even us here at Beacon. We're starting this week by asking asking if you could give a little to help a lot. Each week during January, we've been sharing some easy ways you can support Beacon if you've resolved to do more for others in 2023. For those who work, this week we're asking if they can think about payroll giving, which is an easy way to make a difference. You can make a monthly donation to Beacon for your salary and because it's taken out before tax, it costs you less. So that means if you pledge £5, it will cost you £4 or £3 if you're higher rate taxpayer. We'll still get the £5 though to support people with sight loss, but the rest will be covered by tax. You can find out how to sign up on our website, www.beaconvision.org or call us on 01902 Some of the other things we've been looking at over the month include donating to our shops and regular giving. Again, if you ring that number 01902 they will be able to help if you'd like to find out more. Now, As some of our listeners will know, we have an amazing care team that we are proud to say provides more than 20,000 hours of care a year. We are dedicated to supporting and empowering people to maintain their independence for as long as possible. We recruit people who are prepared to deliver services with kindness, respect and compassion. And if you're looking for work and you feel you have those qualities, then please get in touch because we want to hear from you. Head to our website to find out more www.beaconvision.org forward slash jobs. Do you live in Wolverhampton? Well, the City of Wolverhampton Council is currently running an online lifestyle survey to better inform services offered in the area. It takes around five to ten minutes to complete and for every survey completed, the council is making a donation to a local charity to ensure Beacon benefits. All you need to do is select the Beacon Centre as a charity you would like to receive a funding in the final question. We'd 
so appreciate your time to help make a difference to Wolverhampton and hopefully for us here at Beacon as well. And thank you to everyone who's already completed the survey on behalf of Beacon. You can access it via this link www.wolverhampton.gov.uk forward slash lifestyle survey. That's www.wolverhampton.gov.uk forward slash lifestyle survey. Now, last up this week, it has recently been National Hugging Day. Who doesn't love a good hug, hey? So here is a virtual hug from everyone here at Beacon for anyone who needs one. And if you'd like to send us one back, you can text HUG to 70085 to donate £3. Text costs £3 plus one standard rate message. That's it for this week. I'll be back soon with another update. Cheers that update, Helen. Up now, we're our next block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear Christine. More than 200 West Midlands police officers intend to hang up their hats in the next two years or as soon as possible due to low morale, pay and government treatment, according to a damning new survey. West Midlands Police Federation, which represents rank and file officers in the region, revealed 225 felt they needed to resign from the force when they could. It represented around 14% of those who came forward to answer the survey, with the boss of the organisation calling on ministers to tackle the issues raised. Almost all blamed morale as a reason for wanting to leave, with a similar figure citing how police officers are treated by the government and pay as reasons to quit. The Pay and Morale Survey, polling 1,609 police officers in the region, also revealed almost 9 in 10 believed morale across the force was either low or very low. More than half reported having low or very low personal morale, with 8 in 10 having experienced feelings of stress, low mood, anxiety or other difficulties with their health and well-being over the last 12 months. Almost all of those who responded reported that their cost of living had increased in the last month, with an increase in the price of their food shop being the most cited reason, and 88% said they were worse off financially than they were five years ago. Almost 2 out of 10 said they never or almost never had enough money to cover all their essentials. The survey findings will be presented to Chief Constables, ministers and other stakeholders as part of the Federation's campaign for better pay and conditions and further improvements to the police service. This week also marks the start of a national neighbourhood policing event. Ian can tell us more. The vital, varied, impactive work neighbourhood officers, police community support officers and volunteers do to protect the public and keep people safe within our communities day in and day out will be in the spotlight this week as West Midlands Police are taking part in the National Neighbourhood Policing Week of Action which takes place between 23rd and 29th of January. This year the Week of Action will focus on four key themes which are early intervention, problem-solving policing, improving trust and confidence through neighbourhood policing, and well-being. A message on behalf of West Midlands Police from the Dudley Neighbourhood Policing Unit reads, It's a fantastic opportunity for us to really highlight the huge amount of work that goes on every day in our neighbourhoods and communities to keep our communities safe. We've got lots of activity happening all across the West Midlands and you'll be seeing lots of updates across our local social media channels about the work going on throughout the week. 
and about the type of work that our teams carry out 365 days a year, including the work we do with our partners and volunteers to help protect the public. Parts of the Black Country in Staffordshire have received £60 million in levelling up funding, but most areas did not receive a penny. Last week, the government announced which parts of the country will receive a share of £2.1 billion from the second round of the levelling up fund. Walsall, Sandwell and Staffordshire Council were all awarded funds for improvements. However, they were the only successful bids out of around a dozen that were submitted by local authorities and MPs across the region. It means Dudley will get no funding towards its master plan for lye, while Wolverhampton's bid for £40 million towards the Bilston Health and Regeneration Programme and the Springfield Innovation Hub also came to nothing. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said the cash would be transformational for the West Midlands by creating jobs and spreading opportunity everywhere. It comes ahead of a third round of bidding, which is due to be announced in the coming days. Jane Stevenson, Tory MP for Wolverhampton North East, said she had met with Leveling Up Minister Dehenna Davison to discuss why Wolverhampton's two bids were unsuccessful. She said, Obviously, I'm disappointed, but I was pleased to hear there will be a third round of bids announced soon. I will always push for more investment into our city and I look forward to improving the submission. The stretch of canal between Springfield Brewery and the Science Park is ripe for redevelopment to provide jobs and homes and I will now work with the council to make sure this project happens. Thousands of people in the West Midlands, including many children, are being exploited by criminals and used as money mules to move cash between accounts. West Midlands Police and Crime Commissioner Simon Foster has launched a campaign on TikTok, Instagram and YouTube, warning teenagers against the dangers of being offered cash to use their bank account to transfer funds to another account. Using a third party to move money helps offenders avoid detection by police. Statistics from the CIFAS Fraud Prevention Service showed the West Midlands Police Force area saw nearly 3,000 likely cases between January and September last year. Mr Foster said he is so concerned about the issue that he has teamed up with HSBC UK to launch an awareness-raising campaign across social media to alert people to the risks. He said, It is disgraceful and shameful that criminals are taking advantage of young people just so they can try and evade the law. The offenders know that if they move their own stolen cash around, then sooner or later they will be caught. That's why they often criminally exploit young people and rope them into doing their criminal work for them. So, as well as the police tracking down criminals, arresting them and bringing them to justice, I've decided to get the message out to parents and children in order to prevent young people becoming victims of criminal exploitation in the first place. We need young people and parents to be aware and report any suspicious activity to the police immediately. Knowingly transferring money on behalf of criminals is money laundering and can be punished with up to 14 years in prison. Being used as a money mule could affect a person's credit rating, career prospects and ability to get a bank account. Young people who are targeted are being urged to report the incident to their parents, the police or tell their teacher. Parents are also being asked to look out for any unusual behaviour or other warning signs. 
Natasha Moore, the local director for HSBC UK, which has sponsored the campaign, said, Scammers target individuals, gaining their consent to allow money to be transferred through their bank account in exchange for payment. It might seem like a harmless way to increase your income or even win favour with a new friend, but the money being transferred could well be stolen and ultimately used to fund organised crime, including terrorism. We have recently relaunched our free fraud and cyber awareness mobile app to provide additional protection to customers. The app is available to download by everyone, whether they are customers or not, or use Android or iOS platforms. People can also visit our Fraud and Security Centre for advice and information. Now it's time to test your knowledge, as we have the quiz questions for this edition, and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, these are your questions. Here we go. Question 1. What is it that pigs really can't do? Question 2. Is a fridge best kept full or less full? Question 3. In which country is there a bridge that looks like it's made of Lego? Question four. What was carried to keep the sun off the skin? Question five. What did ancient Greeks use as bandages? And finally, question six. A lost wedding ring was found growing with which vegetable? I will be back with you with the answers later, but for now, best of luck. Cheers for those questions, Mina. I'll get my mind working on those. Up now, however, it's another block of local news. Teachers in England and Wales have voted in favour of strikes in a dispute over pay. Nine out of ten teacher members who voted in the National Education Union ballot voted for strike action, and the union passed the 50% ballot turnout required by law. The union has declared seven days of walkouts in February and March, but it has said any individual school will only be affected by four of the days. The NEU's Kevin Courtney described the outcome in England as the biggest ballot result of any union in recent times. We regret having to take strike action and are willing to enter into negotiations at any time, any place, but this situation cannot go on. The first day of strikes will be on February the 1st and more than 23,000 schools in England and Wales are expected to be affected, the NEU has said. The Department of Education has offered a 5% rise to most teachers for the current school year, but the NEU is demanding a fully funded above inflation pay rise for teachers. The NEU said teachers in sixth form colleges in England who have already been balloted and been on strike in recent months will also take part in action on the strike days between February the 1st and March the 16th. The Department for Education also issued updated guidance to say agency staff and volunteers could be used to cover classes on strike days, with schools expected to remain open where possible, although remote learning is also an option, and the most vulnerable pupils are to be given priority. The wave of industrial action continued last week with members of the Royal College of Nursing in England walking out on Wednesday and Thursday. The Royal College of Nursing also announced last Monday that it will stage two more strikes in England and Wales on February the 6th and 7th, with more NHS trusts taking part than during two days of strikes in December. 
A college lecturer has spoken of the night he saved a man from an icy canal and how he wants to know how he is. Paul Mangan, a tutor at Wolverhampton College, has said he is desperate to know the status of the man after the encounter on Tuesday, December the 13th. Mr Mangan said he had been cycling home from work along the canal path back towards Dunstall Park and said that as he approached the canal towpath near Wolverhampton railway station, he heard a noise in the water. He said, I heard something and stopped to have a look, thinking that it was a dog originally. When I looked closer through the dark, I realised it was a man and he was up to his eyeballs and really quite submerged in the water. Mr Mangan said it had been a huge shock, but said he made a conscious decision to help the man. He said, I think panic mode just set in and there was a rush of adrenaline. So I dropped my bike and ran over to the side of the canal to do what I could to help him. I called out for help and a young lad came out to help me drag him out of the water. Baby's absolutely soaked. And the young lad rang the ambulance while I put my beanie hat, my coat and my gloves on him to give him some warmth as he was really cold. We then sat with him until the ambulance arrived to take him away. Mr Mangan said he had spoken to police officers who attended the scene with one of the officers saying he was going to put him forward for a bravery award. However, he said he didn't take the name or collar number of the officer and has drawn a blank in trying to find out how the man was. My greatest concern is about the man and whether he's okay, as he could have had a problem with secondary drowning, but I have not had much luck with the police because of data protection. If anyone has any information, Mr Mangan has asked for it to be sent to Joe Nichols at Wolverhampton Council at nicholsj at wolfcoll.ac. Staff at Dudley Library were gobsmacked when a customer returned an overdue book 58 years after it should have been back on the shelves. David Hickman, who was born and raised in Dudley, was just 17 when he borrowed The Law for Motorists from the library in 1964. He was looking to swat up on motoring regulations following a minor traffic accident. That summer, he had been driving past the library and waving to pupils, leaving the nearby Dudley High School for Girls, when he crashed into another car, which turned out to belong to the then mayor of Dudley. The book proved to be of little use, and that September, Mr Hickman admitted driving without due care and attention at Dudley Magistrates Court. He was fined £7, which equals around £175 today, and ordered to pay a £3 advocate's fee. In a strange twist of fate, the mayor himself, Councillor W.G.K. Griffiths, was due to appear on the bench on the day of the hearing, but was hurriedly removed in case he was called as a witness. My car was a 1947 Ford Popular, and in those days, if you had wheels, you were top of the food chain when it came to getting the attention of girls, said the 76-year-old father of one, who has retired from working in hotel management. I'd been waving to the girls coming from the school, and my car drifted into the middle of the road. I was shocked to see the mayor. I borrowed the book to look to see if I had any defence. My mother was furious when I went to court. People were more concerned with complying with authority back then. I even tried to buy the newspaper hoarding that listed the day's headlines so that she wouldn't see it. It said, crash with a civic touch. Later, she came to see the funny side. The book, meanwhile, was laying mostly forgotten at the back of a drawer. 
I used to come across it now and then and think, I must pop that back next time I'm in Dudley, Mr Hickman said. I even considered posting it anonymously, but then I decided I would face the music and take it back in person. Fortunately, they saw the funny side. Mr Hickman was relieved to be told that the fine of 20p per day, which would amount to approximately £42,340, would be waived. Dudley librarian Sharon Whitehouse said she was thrilled to have the book returned, complete with its pre-computerisation cardboard tickets, and to hear the story behind it. She now hopes to donate it to the Black Country Museum. I think that's a great idea, said Mr Hickman. Radio WM is set to lose its dedicated drive-time show as part of service cuts unveiled by BBC Chiefs. Under new proposals, the broadcaster is bringing in more shared programmes across its local radio channels. It means the popular Radio WM drive slot, which covers Birmingham and the Black Country and is currently presented by Paul Franks, will be shared with Coventry CWR. The changes have been revised from proposals initially unveiled last year, which would have seen Radio WM keep its standalone drive-time show. A spokesperson for the BBC said, Our goal is to modernise our BBC local services across England to strengthen our online provision for communities across the country, and we have to make changes to do this. BBC WM and CWR will still have dedicated local programming from 6am to 2pm every weekday, and news bulletins and sport will also remain local to those stations. As part of the plans, Wolverhampton is getting a new digital news service. This is as comprehensive a service as other metropolitan boroughs, if not more so. More local news later. But to follow on from the first edition of Sight Loss Tips, provided by the charity InfoSound, we have our second bulletin of practical information. This edition features an indoor and outdoor talking thermometer, the importance of good lighting, and Calibre's audio talking book library. For further information on any of these items, you can also contact Beacon's team of sight loss advisors. This is on the number 01902 880 News and information about living with sight loss from InfoSound. Hello and welcome to the second edition of InfoSound InfoShorts, a regular brief bulletin of news and information, including a helpful tip from a knowledgeable rehab officer to help daily living with sight loss. And this time we mention an indoor and outdoor talking thermometer, the importance of good lighting and Calibre Audio's talking book library. It could help to listen out for useful contact details so you can follow up what you've heard here by talking to those who can give you much fuller details should you want to know more. And first up this time, some information about an indoor and outdoor talking thermometer. It measures both at the same time. With a separate probe, which can be fed through a window to a point outside a house or flat, this device will announce, in a female voice, both inside and outside temperatures in either degrees Celsius or degrees Fahrenheit. An alarm can be set to warn of temperatures above 38 degrees Celsius or below freezing. There is a small screen on the front of the unit as well which displays the temperature, and just below that, some small buttons for selecting the functions. Both may be usable by someone with a good degree of residual vision. This thermometer is powered by two AAA alkaline batteries, which are included, and it measures 80 by 110 by 20 millimetres. 
Cobalt Systems, which stocks products aimed at being helpful for blind and partially sighted people, can tell you any more you may want to know, including about setting it up and using it, if you give them a call on 01493 700 172. That's 01493 700 172. Or you can email sales at cobalt.co.uk sales at cobalt.co.uk InfoSound Now on each edition of InfoShorts we feature a helpful hint to help with the practicalities of living with sight loss. Some of these you may know, some you may not and some may be more or less relevant to your particular eye condition or level of sight. And providing us with today's tip is Anita Plant, Rehabilitation Officer and Low Vision Advisor at the national charity, the Partially Sighted Society. And uh, Anita, what are we talking about this time? Okay, light. And lighting is really important for people with low vision and extra light is really important. So having good angle poise lamp that you can angle onto what you're seeing makes a big difference for a lot of people. But you can't carry that light around with you everywhere. So one of them is to always keep a torch handy, a small LED torch. And the other one is a head torch. Head torches are fantastic tools because you can wear them and your hands are free and you can angle the light directly onto what you're looking at, the task in hand. So even if it is eating or preparing food, making a sandwich or anything like that, a head torch is a fantastic tool. And of course, they're readily available. They're mainstream items. You find them in hardware shops, in supermarkets even. Um, and Absolutely. They, just explain, I, I guess you're talking about the ones that are worn as a band round, round the head above the eyes. And so wherever the head is pointing, I, I guess the light's pointing. That's it. And with a head torch, there isn't a certain amount of you get what you pay for. So all the head torches these days will be LED. The more expensive ones will have adjustable lighting intensity. So you can adjust the light up and down in brightness, which is really useful. So have a look around. There are The outdoor shops are good places to get a head torch as well. But they are, as you say, readily available anywhere. And places where they can be particularly handy around the home. I'm thinking kitchen cupboards, trying mm. to locate cans of food in, in a, I don't know, people have larders these days, but kitchen cupboards, basically. Those dark spaces under the stairs, wherever it might be, the torch goes with you. Absolutely. But while we're talking about the kitchen cupboards, my other top tip, if I can sneak that in there as well, is have a light that comes on, a sensor light in the cupboard, which when you open the cupboard, it comes on automatically. Great. So the importance of light, well, just everywhere around the house, wherever you need it, if you can take it with you, that's good. But you can also have them in fixed places and get advice about that, presumably. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Anita. InfoSound. Calibre Audio provides a collection of over 14,500 audiobooks for people in the UK living with a print disability. So that's anyone struggling to access print to borrow for free. Every day they send out over 1,500 books to their members. Members can borrow audiobooks on Memory Stick for up to eight weeks and can have as many as five Memory Sticks at any one time. Their Memory Sticks can be played on any USB player, which can be purchased from many online retailers, including the RNIB and Amazon. Calibre Audio audiobooks can also be streamed directly to a computer or mobile device from their Play Calibre website, 
for a period of up to 28 days. And audiobooks will pick up where you left off reading, and you can have up to four books on the go in your streaming list. Their audiobooks are now also available to download on the free Dolphin Easy Reader app, the Libby app, and the Real Sam Pocket smartphone. So there are lots of ways to listen. If some of this technology isn't too familiar to you, Calibre Audio can tell you more about how it works and, of course, how to become a member, browse their library and start listening to books. And their phone number is 01296432339. That's 01296432339. Or they can be emailed at enquiries at calibre.org.uk enquiries at calibre.org.uk And so that's it for this second edition of the InfoShorts Bulletin from InfoSound. We'll have more next time. Thank you for listening. News and information about living with sight loss from InfoSound. Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear from Liz. A Second World War veteran who had to swim for his life 80 years ago when his warship was destroyed said he is delighted to practice his breaststroke regularly these days. Roger Roberts was serving in the Royal Navy when the ship he was on was hit by German torpedo boats and he had to abandon ship and swim in the freezing water until he was saved. He initially joined the army when he was just 15 years old and underage, but was discharged when his true status was discovered. Later, at age 18, he enrolled in the Navy in 1943, boarding the HMS Caribdis, a Dido-class cruiser launched in 1940. In October 1943, it was sunk by the enemy in an ill-fated military experiment to provide anti-aircraft support for slow convoys. Working in the engine room at the time of the strike, Roger was told to abandon the quickly sinking ship. He and 106 other survivors took to the water, swimming for their lives, before they were eventually rescued by the destroyer HMS Wensleydale and taken to Devonport in Plymouth. But a further 462 lives were lost. Since then, the 97-year-old has only been for the occasional swim, and after moving to a care home in the region last year, he told staff that he would love to get into the water more often, as he was a very strong swimmer. He said his favourite stroke was the breaststroke. Foley Grange care home manager Hannah Atkinson said she got in touch with the local leisure centre, who were more than happy to invite Roger to the pool. When the day came for Roger to take his first steps into the water since the war, he said he couldn't wait to get started. He said, My motto in life is never give up and keep on going, and that's what made me want to get back into the water. When I first got into the pool, it felt amazing, and I was delighted that Foley Grange could make it happen. I was also very glad that this time I was in the water, the water was warm. There's not much better than a freshly made donut on a cold January day. If you find yourself out shopping on Dudley's High Street, you'll be sure to find Old Tom's Donuts, a sweet treat van with a five-star food hygiene rating run by Peter Westwood and his wife Nicola. Old Tom's Donuts is named after a friend of Peter who had been running vans for over 30 years from Wolverhampton. 
The baker felt that he had learned a lot from old Tom and thus honoured his name when he started his venture. Talking to Peter, it was very clear that there was a strong sense of community with the way he and other vendors chatted with each other and the surrounding people who visited the van. Despite overcoming challenges such as the pandemic and the cost of living crisis, Peter maintains that Old Tom's Donuts' first priority is their customers. The business also has a Facebook group boasting over 4.4 thousand followers, so there are certainly a fair few in agreement that Peter looks after his customers. Some travel from afar and one comes from Wales to sample some of the van's delights. Peter reflected on the support that he had had throughout lockdown when he had to shut down completely. It was a really tough time, really tough. But when we were able to trade again, we tried to do what we could to help by giving free hot drinks to the NHS, ambulance, police, all of our key workers. Peter added, the costs of running the business have gone up a lot in the last year, especially the oil prices. But my customers always come first to me. So if there's a way to carry on while keeping the prices as they are, I'm going to do it. I know that the cost of living has affected a lot of people. There are also plans to bring home delivery to Dudley, something that Peter has already implemented with his Kidderminster branch through an app called AppyGrab with success. It seems there's no stopping old Tom's Donuts. With two vans in full operation and another one potentially on the way, home delivery being implemented and an ever-growing social media presence, Peter and Nicola are definitely going full steam ahead. Queen of rock and roll Susie Quattro is set to rock the stage at the revamped Civic Hall in Wolverhampton. The American rock legend is set to perform at the newly named The Halls Wolverhampton as one of the latest acts to appear on the recently refitted venue. Known for her smash hits Stumbling In and If You Can't Give Me Love, the 70s legend is celebrating the 50th anniversary of the hit song Can The Can, which marked the first time a female bass player became a major performer in the rock genre, paving the way for women's participation in rock music. Susie Quattro said, I am now in my 59th year in this business. I was born to entertain. I was born to rock and roll and have no plans of stopping anytime soon. I am so excited to be doing this tour because this year I am celebrating the 50th anniversary of Can The Can, my first number one. The show will be part of the UK live tour for 2023, where Quattro will perform all of her hits through the years, as well as the classics and more. Susie Quattro is expected to appear at the Halls Wolverhampton on North Street on November the 16th, with tickets going on sale from January the 20th. Mary Hill aims to get people to connect to boost their well-being by hosting Chatter and Natter tables in partnership with Chatty Cafe. The Chatty Cafe scheme was designed to encourage conversation and help people connect to reduce feelings of loneliness or social isolation. The initiative has expanded rapidly since launching in 2019, growing from a few chat and natter tables to a network of more than 750 venues in 2022. Mary Hill's Chatty Cafe is the first to open in a regional retail destination and will run between 9.30am and 11.30am on January the 24th to the 26th at 8 Central. Attendance is free and anyone interested can simply turn up on the day. 
Jonathan Poole, Centre Manager at Merry Hill, said, Our community is very important to us and we're always seeking ways to bring people together and we're excited to partner with Chatty Cafe. They've already brought happiness to thousands of people so far. We hope Merry Hill visitors feel encouraged to stop by the Chatter and Natter tables and leave the centre feeling brighter than when they arrived. Abigail Murray, Operations Manager at the Chatty Cafe Scheme, CIC, said... We've seen the benefits the scheme has had on improving the mental health and happiness levels for attendees and volunteers alike. It provides a unique opportunity to create strong connections in the community with the chance to make new friendships and even learn about groups and activities in the area to take part in. We look forward to offering this to Merry Hill visitors. The partnership with Chatty Cafe comes as part of Mary Hill's wider Brighter Days Ahead campaign, which includes additional wellbeing initiatives in January, including a spa-inspired event at Lush from 5pm to 6.30pm on Sunday, January the 22nd. It costs £15 per person and in-store booking is required. Up now, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Hello again everyone. I hope that you're all well and keeping away from the flu bugs that are out doing the rounds. This week I've been reading some odd facts and found a few that are listed as strange but true. So here goes with a few for starters. Now then, it's strange but true that... If someone tells you that they're sweating like a pig, you might want to point out to them that if they were being biologically accurate, that would mean that they were not sweating at all. Swine are born without sweat glands, so when they need to cool off, their only option tends to be to find a cool puddle of mud in which they can roll around. And an empty fridge not only makes it more difficult to decide what to snack on, it also wastes valuable energy. It works like this. The more empty space in the fridge, the more cold air is displaced by warm when you open the door, requiring the appliance to generate cool air to replace it. So if the fridge is packed, less cool air escapes and less energy is required to replenish it. And there's a Lego bridge in Germany that you can walk across. The German town of Wuppertal is home of the Lego bridge. It looks like it's made from coloured Lego brick. Despite appearances, the bridge is not made of giant plastic bricks, however, but concrete. And it was painted to look like Lego by a street artist, Martin Hewald. And umbrellas were only used by women. For centuries they were seen as something to be used only by women, associated with the fashionable parasols women would carry during warmer days to keep the sun up from their skin. But in the mid-18th century, the barriers started to fall, with public figures like philanthropist Jonas Hanway carrying umbrellas during public events. And spiders' webs were used as bandages in ancient times. In ancient Greece and Rome, doctors used spiders' webs to make bandages for their patients. Spider webs supposedly have a natural antiseptic and antifungal properties, which can help keep wounds clean and prevent infection. And a woman in Sweden lost her wedding ring when cooking for Christmas in 1995. She looked everywhere for it and even had a kitchen floor pulled up, hoping that she could find it. But she wouldn't see it again until 2012, while gardening 16 years later, the woman found the ring wrapped around a carrot that was sprouting in the middle of it. I suppose you could say that the ring was made of one carrot gold. Well, that's it for this week, and quite a mixed bag it was too. I enjoyed the variety though, I hope you did. In road up, I'm off. I'll have to have my cup of tea and a sausage and tomato sandwich. My favourite and quite a rare treat these days. Till next week then, I'll say bye for now. ta a bit. ta <laughs>
We have to hit with the webfast in store for us. Brought to us as always by Mina. The weather for this week ahead will be settled and dry with cloudy intervals and a gentle breeze. Temperatures are forecast to be around 9 degrees for most of the week with overnight temperatures also remaining milder around 5 degrees. UV levels are expected to be low. The sunrise and sunset times are 7.50am for the sunrise and 16.55pm for the sunset. For Friday 27th of January, the forecast is looking mainly dry, with a gentle breeze and temperatures around 8 degrees. This settled pattern will continue throughout the weekend too and we may even see temperatures reach double figures on Sunday 29th, giving a pleasant end to the weekend. On to next week, and it is forecast to remain generally dry and rather settled, with light cloud and a gentle breeze, right through to Thursday 2nd of February. Already, can you believe it? There's a chance of rain on Monday and Thursday. These showers should be brief and light, Temperatures will continue to hold up while all week hovering around 9 degrees. So, that's your forecast for this week. As always, enjoy the weather. Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Up now, it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on. Manchester City 3, Wolves 0. An Erling Haaland hat-trick capped off a miserable afternoon for Wolves as they suffered a 3-0 thrashing away at Manchester City. Julen Lopetegui made six changes from the team that lost to Liverpool in the FA Cup last time out. Mario Lamina made his full debut for the club, while new signing Pablo Sarabia made the bench. Wolves sat back in their shape and looked to counter-attack in the first half, and without causing any danger up front, they restricted Manchester City well and almost got to half-time nil-nil. Just five minutes before half-time, City finally found the breakthrough. Haaland towered above Collins and powered home a header in the 40th minute to give City the lead. At the start of the second half, Lopetegui made a big call by changing his entire front three, with Sarabia making his debut. However, Wolves made a dreadful start by handing the hosts a penalty within five minutes of the restart, which Haaland converted. Wolves then managed to make life even more difficult for themselves when goalkeeper José Saar passed the ball directly to Mares, who found Haaland for an easy tap-in to secure his hat-trick in the 54th minute. Wolves showed little sign of getting back into the game, while City could have extended their lead before the referee called full-time and put Wolves out of their misery. The result handed Wolves their second 3-0 battering from City this season after the reverse fixture at Molyneux in September and leaves them precariously positioned just outside the relegation zone. In his post-match interview, Julen Lopetegui was quick to shoulder responsibility. The head coach said, We didn't do what we had in our mind with the game plan. Maybe because when you as a coach make three changes at half-time, it's your fault in the lineup or your fault in the game plan. This is not about the players that I have changed, it's about me. I hate to lose, but we deserve to lose, in my opinion. Burnley 2, West Brom 1 Albion succumbed to a dramatic body blow at the death as Burnley hit back with a late double to win at Turf Moor making just the one expected change from the previous league outing with Grady Diangana replacing the injured Matt Phillips 
It looked like it would be 10 league wins in 11 for Carlos Corberan's in-form Albion as they led for 68 minutes following Darnell Furlong's early-headed opener, but Albion dropped deeper and deeper, and after defending heroically with some incredibly resilient defending, it was not to be, as Burnley deserved their late win, albeit with a gut-wrenching late double. Vincent Company's hosts, who are yet to lose at Turf Moor this season, made it 14 wins from 16 to maintain their place at the top whilst Albion, up to third for large parts, are forced to remain in sixth. After slipping to such a cruel late defeat, Carlos Corberan admitted Burnley with the better side and believes scoring so early gave his side a feeling that they had to just defend one result. He said we couldn't get the result we wanted to take. We couldn't even get the point that we could have had after they equalised. We have to now, accept is not the word, reflect why they today were better than us. On reflection, Corberan also added, they are a team difficult to press because their goalkeeper finds solutions. You need to go 1v1 if you want to press, and sometimes we couldn't do that. It's sometimes hard to adapt to the structure of a team. We needed to attack more in the second half, ask more for the ball, and play with that personality that is aggressive. Sometimes it's not easy. We will accept this defeat, we understand they were better, and this has to give us the ideas that we must keep growing a lot. Off the pitch, and fans will take some reassurances from the Hawthorns being listed as an asset of community value after an application was granted status by Sandwell Council. Chief Executive Ron Gourlay has reiterated there have been no plans to sell the Hawthorns and said the listing adds another layer of protection to the stadium. This comes shortly after the club's home was listed as security against West Bromwich Albion Group's 20 million loan from MSD Holdings at the request of controlling shareholder Guachuan Lai to aid running operational and improvement costs moving forward, particularly beyond the summer should promotion not be achieved. The chief executive also revealed the club are looking to bring in one, maybe two, players this month, with Albion linked to a host of loan moves for midfield players. And finally, former Albion defender Craig Dawson becomes the latest player to do the Black Country double. After Wolves relegation rivals, West Ham finally accepted their offer to buy him earlier this week. The commanding central defender, now 32, is believed to have signed a contract with the Old Gold for two and a half years in a deal reported to be in the region of £3.3 million. Have you done any good at the quiz this week? Well, Now's the time to find out, as we have the quiz answers. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question one. What is it that pigs really can't do? And the answer, they can't sweat. Question two. Is the fridge best kept full or less full? And the answer is full. Question three. In which country is there a bridge that looks like it's made of Lego? And the answer, Germany. Question four. What was carried to keep the sun off the skin? And the answer, parasols. Question five. What did ancient Greeks use as bandages? And the answer here is spider webs. And finally, question six. 
A lost wedding ring was found growing with which vegetable? And of course, a carrot. So, how did you get on? Did you get them all right? If not, not to worry, as I will be back next week to test you once again. Bye for now. Now to honour one of Britain's most celebrated comic writers, we reflect on the life of the novelist, playwright and journalist, the late, great Sue Townsend, who captivated not just the nation's readers, but influenced a generation of writers and performers along the way. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Nikki with an article written by Sarah Sherwin about the writer Sue Townsend. Sue Townsend is probably best known as the British comic novelist who created the character of Adrian Mole. The first two novels detailed the pain of teenage angst, but she allowed him to age through successive novels from the age of thirteen and three quarters to a middle-aged man, with the narrative taking the form of diaries and additional correspondence. Through her writing, which encompassed not just novels but plays and essays, Townsend chronicled the lives of ordinary people through times of great social change during the 1980s. This was initially a commentary on life in Thatcherite Britain, but continued in the later novels to reflect life under New Labour when Tony Blair was serving as Prime Minister. She was also a prolific journalist and wrote for The Observer, The Sunday Times and The Daily Mail. Sue Townsend was registered blind, having suffered from diabetes for several years. She described herself as the world's worst diabetic. She continued to write, dictating all her later books, usually to her son, Sean. She powerfully described this process as feeling as if she had to throw words into the dark. Sue Townsend was born Susan Lillian Johnston in Leicester on the 2nd of April 1946. She was the oldest of three sisters. Her father was a postman and her mother worked in a factory canteen. She is said to have been encouraged to read by her mother when she was eight and particularly enjoyed the Just William books by Rich Mal Crompton, which her mother had bought from a charity shop to help her pass the time when she was off school with mumps. Interestingly, it is thought that the character of William influenced Townsend in the creation of Adrian Mole. While she was at school, Townsend had what must have been an extremely distressing experience. She and some friends were playing and climbing a tree when they witnessed the murder of a fellow pupil. No one believed them at the time, but eventually a man called Joseph Reynolds was convicted of the murder in 1953. Reynolds became the last person to be executed in Leicester Prison. Sue Townsend went to a secondary modern school, leaving at 14 without any qualifications. Before becoming a writer, she had various jobs, including working at the Bird's Eye Pea Factory and in a petrol station, the latter enabling her to indulge her passion for reading in between serving customers. In 1984, when she was 18, Sue married Keith Townsend, a sheet metal worker, and by the time she was 23, she had three children under the age of five. The marriage broke down, and Townsend became a single parent. She experienced considerable financial hardship along the way and often had only limited statutory support. This experience would influence her writing, providing examples of the impact of poverty on her own family. At one time, she revealed how she made an evening meal for the entire family, with only a tin of peas and an oxo cube. 
Another specific example, she said, had influenced her writing was when her teenage son asked her why their family could not go on days out like other families. This comment was to be used by the adolescent Adrian Mole with the line, Why don't we go to safari parks like other families do? The character of Adrian Mole was originally known as Nigel Mole and was broadcast as a radio play entitled The Diary of Nigel Mole, aged 13 and a quarter on Radio 4 in January 1982. The play was heard by an employee of the publisher's Methuen, who commissioned Townsend to write the play as a novel, called The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, aged 13 and three quarters. The novel was recognised as a realistic and humorous reflection on the angst of teenage boys. It was an instant success and topped the bestseller list, selling a million copies in just a year. It was eventually translated into 48 languages and went on to sell 10 million copies. In total, the Adrian Mole books sold more copies than any other fiction novels in a decade. There are a total of nine Adrian Mole novels, which see him progress from 13 and three quarters to a middle-aged man and describe major life events, relationships and the complexities of family life. In 1984, The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole premiered as a play at the Phoenix Theatre in Leicester, and after an initial run there, it transferred to the Wyndham Theatre in London, where it enjoyed a run of two years. In the early 1980s, in order to gain further understanding of the adolescent view of life, Townsend began working in youth clubs, and she trained as a youth worker. It was through this work that she met and married her second husband, Colin Broadway in 1986. He was supportive of her creative work and encouraged her to join a writer's group at the Phoenix Theatre in Leicester. This was to have a significant influence on the progression of her literary career, as not only did she go on to become their writer-in-residence, but also met and was mentored by several theatre directors, including Sue Pomeroy. Sue Pomeroy commissioned and directed some of Townsend's plays, including Wombarang, Day Room and Ear, Nose and Throat. These collaborations undoubtedly helped develop her career further. Townsend also wrote political essays including Mr Bevan's Dream, Why Britain Needs Its Welfare State, which explored the social consequences of Thatcherism. Through her extensive writing she depicted the social and political situation in Britain, in particular commenting on left-wing politics referencing unemployment and public spending cutbacks. She went on to satirise the politics of New Labour, a movement which she had been disappointed by. She described herself as a passionate socialist and in one interview described New Labour as interlopers. While Townsend had a very successful career as a writer, she was determined to remain true to her roots and said that no amount of balsamic vinegar or Prada handbags would make her forget what it was like to be poor. Sue Townsend's achievements were recognised widely. As early as 1982, she won the Thames Television Playwright Award for Wombarang, and went on to be awarded honorary doctorates, including from the universities of Leicester and Loughborough. In 2012, her novel The Woman Who Went to Bed for a Year was awarded Audiobook of the Year, in 2015, her hometown of Leicester renamed the Phoenix Theatre, which had been such an important influence on her career, the Sue Townsend Theatre. In 2014, after several years of ill health, Sue Townsend died following a stroke. 
ENF Soundings. So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV46AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us, stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. ta